Hey, hey, this is Hunter, and this is the podcast that I'm trying to start called Love Letters Podcast, where I use each podcast episode to communicate something to my significant other. Um, basically, I want this to be a... I don't know exactly how the format's going to go or what, what, how, to, how to do it, but basically... Each episode's going to have some kind of stories or background or questions um, and studies from the Baha'i writings to kind of allow me to get to know my special friend, Jesse. Um, and yeah, so this is the episode one. Going to be a lot of dead air because I am learning this as I go it. This is being broadcast from October 2nd. It's being made on October 2nd, 2019 in the sound booth at UNCA and really the whole process is just me getting to learn and play with all these really cool audio recording equipments um yeah I'm gonna pull up my my little notes right now and see where to start from because I have general outlines for this thing for this first podcast that I wanted to to send out so that um, Jesse could have to listen to whenever. And I have my document now. Um, and this included the like little introduction thing. So first, yeah, first point of the story that I wanted to share today on this first episode of the podcast is basically something that Jesse's heard before, but because this podcast may potentially go out into other parts of the world or whatnot, who says, whatever that is. I wanted to also just share a little bit about my life's story, which is something that was one of the first things that we bonded over was just through learning about each other's histories and lives. So my name's Hunter, Hunter Caps. I was originally born Ian Caps um, or, or Ian Hunter Caps. I chose to go by Hunter in like the first grade when I started at school because there were a bunch of other people named Ian in that class and because people kept making the joke of, so your name is Ian. Why don't you spell it E-N? And that perturbed me for reasons I hope people understand and I think it was also because people when they see the, the word Ian spelled I-A-N it does not look like Ian and so that was probably their own coping mechanisms with like being made a fool of by the weird spelling of my name and I basically so that's my name <laughs> took a long time just to get that far um I was born in North Carolina in Asheville in, I think, St. Joseph's Hospital, and which is now Mission St. Joseph's, in 1989, March 25th, around 1142. Yeah, and I grew up with my mom and my dad in a house in West Asheville, in the West Asheville neighborhood off of Haywood Avenue, Haywood Street, Haywood Avenue. I don't remember. Haywood Road. Haywood Road, that was. It was Road. And it was called 20 Tremont Street. It was my first address. And we had that address for a long time. Um, and it was me and my mom, Lynn Caps, and my dad, Lee Caps, and my older brother, Evan, initially. And so I grew up in this household with some 
Baha'i values. My mom was very into the Baha'i faith, and my dad, uh, he has said that he adopted the Baha'i faith when he had kids because he felt like he wanted them to have a moral compass or a moral framework and the pressure or responsibility from having kids was something that um, drove him into that direction because he knew he wanted he just thought I well I don't know exactly I should probably talk with him more about that but a big part of it was the added responsibility and wanting a moral center for their kids and so he he went with what my mom was grounded in, which was the Baha'i faith, which is a world religion um, that started uh, some trace its origins back to the year 1844 when the Bab, the gate, the herald of the faith declared his mission uh, that he would be preparing the world for a promised one from God. Uh, And this is often compared to the role of John the Baptist and uh, preparing the world for Christ. But the Bob was also a messenger from God, too, and he prepared the way for Baha'u'llah. Um, he began, you know, early in the Bob's life. He was, uh, well, I could tell this maybe another time. That might be a to-tell-sometime story the story of the life of the Bob on the podcast. and uh, But right now I'm trying to focus on my story. So needless to say, my family were Baha'is. And <clears throat> we grew up and I went to school when it was time to go to school. And we had kind of more liberal, hippie-ish values uh, also, I guess, is what I noticed. Because my parents were really, really nice and lenient. They like didn't want to spank. I just recently found a book that my mom had whited out some sections where it talked about spanking and she wrote in like no dessert for you um and so they were very like uh supportive of kind of raising their kids in a harm-free environment or or very like gentle uh soft world and so they there was none of this like man up type of culture in the household um And so we were raised a little more gentle, soft. I don't know how to say it, but eventually I also had a little brother come along the way after I was born named Chase. His middle name was Chase, Chase Caps. And he was, yeah. So I had the the middle child experience is one of the things that I think I'm a little bit attached to identity wise. Um, Grow up. Um... I guess kids are pretty much just kids. I think I was a little bit tame, calm, and like uh, content to be in my own world a lot as a kid. Some of this might be because uh, my brothers were, my older brother was kind of always there, and I think I just had a desire for alone time a lot. And so, I would just want to go off and kind of do my own thing. And sometimes I would go biking in the neighborhood. Sometimes I'd be doing other stuff, but always kind of happy to play with myself or by myself just by like making things out of cardboard or paper or I was doing sewing at times, sewing at times. Um, just lots of things where I would be doing like crafts and, and small hands stuff. 
Um, I say small hand stuff because uh, I recently heard that from my mom that according to some kind of psychology study or something, kids typically are either really good or, or motor skills. That's the word. They're either good with big, broad motor skills or like fine tuned motor skills and it seemed like a lot of her kids were more like in the fine-tuned motor skills like doing things with their hands really precisely and not necessarily like moving their whole bodies and sports and athletics are more like the the broad motor skills I don't know what the coarse motor skills I don't know what the opposite of fine motor skills are and uh I was probably one that was more into the fine motor skills things like sewing that takes a lot of like precision really close up and like taping things together and making things like that. We all played with Transformers and Legos. That was another big thing in our household. Like, So grew up first grade. I went to school for like three-fourths of the grade. Felt like eventually I would just did not want to be there anymore because it was, I think because of the bullying, bullying environment, it was stressful. And so eventually I begged my parents to let me go home and be homeschooled. And my mom maybe had been homeschooling Evan some at this point, um, or she was always open to homeschooling. So she accommodated and I was homeschooled for like first, second, third and fourth grade, like the end of first all through those. I was homeschooled and we used like computer programs and other things to help supplement those, you know, the education to help build the curriculum or to make sure we are on track with other the state requirements and things like that um and it was really man it was really nice it was way better than regular school then a little bit later in life I'm stalling right now because I don't even know what I'm going to try to stay say later in life I do in fifth grade I went to charter school I thought it might be a little bit different than a different public school. I thought it might be a little bit more soft. Uh, class sizes would be a little bit smaller, more teachers on deck. Um, and I might have known one of my classmates that was also going to be there through like the homeschooling group that we were a part of or through some of the friend networks that we were that we knew. Or he was a member of my soccer team. And so I went to that charter school evergreen community charter school in fifth grade and I was in a fourth fifth classroom it's where I met one of my best friends in my whole life Sean Cushy I thought he was a girl at first he thought I was a girl at first um and then later we found out that neither one of us are girls um I had very long hair at the time and so it just seemed kind of girly and he had I felt like really long eyelashes and I thought his name was seen because I did not know what Sean was and so that was like big best friend moments is that fifth, fourth grade friendship. I had a lot of friends in, in homeschool and stuff too, but they were a little bit farther. It's a little bit different when you're homeschooling and you get to see them like once a month versus like you see them every day at school and you're friends with them there. And you have like sleepovers on the weekend. There's basically just a lot more time spent with Sean than my other friends previous up to that point. And... Yeah, then the Sean years started, and we were hanging out a lot. It was like, initially, the crew was Sean, Dashiell, Quinn, some of these other soccer players, and we played soccer, and we loved Smash Brothers and Nintendo and Mario Kart, and we played video games and stayed up late at night, and that was pretty much a big part of my uh, 
life. These are some of the more memorable things, I guess, because they were the things that I chose. But there was also Baha'i classes that we would go to as kids. I remember Sean went to Baha'i class with me at times. Like there, were, That was also very present in my life. So I'm in fifth grade, and then sixth grade, I am no longer in Sean's class. And bullying is harder. And so I decide, you know what? I want out. So I beg my mom, and she lets me go, and... That is that. I like get out and go homeschool again. Um, I get kind of then the next year of seventh grade, I'm homeschooling. Uh, at the end of that, I get stir crazy and want to go back in a social environment again. But I was nervous about making friends. And so I basically said, I want to be friend. I want to be in Sean's class and there's nothing you can do about it. Please hold me back. Let me join. And then there were my parents were kind of against it in a lot of ways because they wanted me to. Uh, they were like, this is going to impact your future and you don't even know. And I was just like, I don't care. I want to be in Sean's class. And so I got held back a grade and started seventh grade again with Sean and some other friends. Um, this was a year also that I guess this was. I don't know the year, but this was my seventh grade, my second seventh grade overall and my first seventh grade at Evergreen Community Charter School. And this is where I met one of my best friends who is currently today. Also, her name is Drew. She was going by Kat at the time when I met her, Catherine, she was going by and then she went to Drew and then she went back to Kat. And now I don't even know what to call her. Dring, mostly. Man, podcasting is hard without having someone to go off of because I'm just literally talking into a vacuum but so yeah seventh grade that's what was happening uh and my life is more than just my school but that's the things that I can track and pace I went to Asheville High School after eighth grade there and I still was good friends with Drew um and Sean and that kind of lasted but Sean went to a separate high school than I did and Drew, halfway through high school, went to across the country to California. And so I had different sets of friends. I mostly hung out with my friends Will and Calvin during like the high school era. Uh, Will played guitar, Calvin played drums, and I learned bass so that I could hang out with my friends more. Um, and that was fun. We also played Smash Brothers and video games and Mario Kart, those sorts of things. Sleepovers there. And that was a big part of my early on what I was doing. I was went to high school. I did made good grades. I got I was fine. Um, won awards in a lot of my classes. Probably every year I got like a AP. Not every year it was was AP, but I got awards every year for like being the best in like one of my classes. I think there's one in year where I didn't get one of those and. Uh, yeah, I won awards in my last year for AP Physics and AP Calculus, but just because I had good grades, not because I actually understood everything. There were people that were a lot better at it than me that just didn't have the same quality of grades from like turning in homework on time and things like that. There were people that got it better than I did and tested better than I did, but did not have as great of grades in the class because I think I was just really devoted to turning everything in and being and making sure everything was right 
I also, during high school, I started my first job probably working, I think it was during high school. First, my first job working at a movie theater. That was cool. So I was just going on and I had certain, I had some relationships and girlfriends here and there along the way until eventually, I, and then after high school, I was working at a library kind of part-time. Um, well, no, 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 no. After high school, I went to AB Tech to learn automotive because cars have physics in them and I really liked physics. Um, but they're also cars are very on hands-on, so I learned pretty quickly. I didn't want to be doing that for the rest of my life, um, which I kind of thought I wouldn't want to do whatever I started in for the rest of my life. I had a feeling I was going to want to change it eventually, so I just figured I would pick something that would be useful, like car knowledge so that I could fix cars because I was grew up in a place where cars were pretty important. So yeah, I went to automotive school for two semesters and the beginning of another semester. My dad was so supportive and he bought me my tools to do it and then he kind of felt in the back of his head the whole time like he's not going to stick with this. He, just, he doesn't want to do this for a living and I probably agreed with him and he still supported it bless his heart he always told me jokingly that when when if i if slash when i dropped out or quit that he would be getting my tools and he did he got them um because after that first year i was i downloaded this game programming software called scratch and i was programming and making games and i was having way too much fun doing that it kind of distracted from my automotive career thing and I was like I want to do programming I don't want to do automotive because automotive is basically it's really dirty work um, breaks and all sorts of stuff is stuff that where you get dirty and then when you approach a problem sometimes or oftentimes the answer to the problem that you're approaching is apply more force because there would be like a bolt doesn't go anywhere and if it doesn't move at first you got to knock the bolt away and so just with like hammers and wrenches it was it was way out of my my league because I was more like problem solving puzzling like intellectually approach to problem solving and this was a whole nother world for me not into it um even though I did like physics haha um so I went into studying or I didn't go into studying I studied I I didn't feel like I could make games for a living even though that was what I was having fun doing I decided but I do like programming so I went into like web design also because that was a very transportable skill like I wanted something that I could travel with I could do web design in other places and freelance and stuff like that that was pretty important to me I started doing that I, I, I when I stopped the the automotive I began playing around with programming in my own spare time. I also, that summer, towards the end of that summer, I got a job at the library uh, sorting books for delivery. And that was a big part of my life for like a long time. And I still work at the library uh, off and on. And so I would be basically for a long time, I was working at the library part time and then just kind of goofing off the other times. I mean, hanging out with friends, playing video games and things like that were additional parts of my life but ultimately it wasn't the biggest thing like yeah and so school automotive uh worked at the library for a while and did in addition to that 
here and there, video games, playing with friends, hanging out here and there. Sean eventually moved away also up to Boston. And I was kind of just, there was a point eventually when 2013, when Chase really wanted to move out, my younger brother, I was close with my brothers pretty much all my whole life. Chase wanted to move out and he wanted to be on his own and he didn't want to kind of do it alone. And so I went with him. We moved out in 2013, I think, or 2012. And it was a big learning experience as far as like getting the lease, renting stuff and doing the rentals and dividing up expenses and stuff like that. And I remember, yeah, it was, he was working at the movie theater at the time and I was working at the library and we were just kind of living life and having fun. Like when we're not working, we were just doing, playing games basically, not, not other stuff, but and so that lasted for about a year until Chase wanted to move out again to another thing. And then I moved back in with my mom at that point and kind of connected with Drew some more. And and I still had my friends like Calvin and a few others maybe in Asheville that I would hang out with. But I kind of like the last straw was at one point when Calvin moved away and then it was just me. And... My mom was like highly encouraging of me to get involved with any, any Baha'i activities that happened um, at some point. And I got invited to go to a study circle. And the first time I went to the study circle, I went to it once and I was like, I'm not a big fan of what this is. And I just went to it once and then I left. Uh, and for anybody that doesn't know what a study circle is, it's a, it's a, one of the core activities of the Baha'i faith currently where you come together and study writings from Baha'u'llah and Abdul Baha and the Bab and, um, seek to apply them in your life. And they all kind of build on different capacities for service. It's all about, um, service about another year goes by and that same group that started book one a while back is doing book two now. And they invite me to go with them to a service project. And I was like, well, I want to be helpful, so I will go to that. And so I went to it, and we went. We visited some people at a like nursing home, and that was that. We we I kind of started to go based off of like probably the encouragement of my mom more regularly to this Friday night book two study circle where I met uh, some of my good friends like Taylor uh, Rutstein and. Uh, Zach Barber and uh, Jasmine Riazadi and Greta Anderson. These are all some, some important people in my life that I met at that study circle. Um, and I was just going to, to study and to be a part of it in a lot of ways and for the social aspects. The spiritual aspects were there, but I was going for the social aspects because I guess I just didn't have any other friends or anything else going on in a lot of ways. And it was cool, and eventually kind of one thing led to another, and I found myself really enamored with Baha'u'llah. And kind of some deep philosophical questions spurred me on it, and maybe that can be another another story is my more of my spiritual journey and what, what caused me to believe in Baha'u'llah more and more. I had kind of always accepted it and like just believed it because it just made so much logical sense and the framework of the Baha'i teachings kind of accommodate a, an understanding of, of the other religions also and without belittling them or or 
making them less than anything else, but they still like the framework of understanding within the Baha'i community, within Baha'i knowledge, Baha'u'llah's teachings, that framework of understanding um, just explains so much. And the idea is that harmony can harmony between science and religion is, is important and is as is um, the equality of men and women. Um, racial prejudice is bad, like all of these things. Promoting or calling for the elimination of all racial prejudice, all prejudice, was a huge part of the Baha'i teachings. And there's lots of more teaching than like the essential core values. The values are not necessarily the teachings, but there's those values are things that I, I grew up with and held dear. And I saw more not maybe not always perfectly reflected, but more perfectly reflected in the Baha'i community than than I had seen in other communities. And I think during this time of this study circle, I learned about the value of service in a greater way. And that was pretty valuable for me. And learning about concepts of junior youth, that the junior youth group uh, program the JYG, the JYSEP, the Junior Youth Spiritual Empowerment Program. Learning those values was was hugely important. One of the friends that was in that book to study circle was also animating a junior youth group. And there were a couple times when I got like invited to go help out and I really didn't know what I would be doing to help out. Like I didn't feel very social or good with people or like I, I didn't fit in in new environments very well but I persisted I guess I mean I, I just went anyways and there was ways that I found myself being helpful and there I had a different set of skills than maybe than than other people it wasn't always like the best I didn't like rock the world or like take supercharge but I was there and I was helping and so like being invited to to go to places where I was able to to do acts of service and help others. I think I was also maybe volunteering some at a community garden in my neighborhood that kind of going along with a friend to to do service was a huge part of me like developing appreciation for Baha'u'llah because my friends that were inviting me to do these things the and helping others were also deeply in love with Baha'u'llah and they loved praying and that kind of spurred me in a, in a deeper direction of like wanting to pray more and wanting to connect to God. From there, there was, that was kind of in the midst of the 2013, 14, 15 youth conferences. I was kind of growing a little bit more spiritually from initially just being a passive recipient to services to actually like driving people to, place to place and being of service in there. And I think I I got elected to the local spiritual assembly of the Baha'is of Asheville. And I was just more devoted to service than I think I had been previously. And that became kind of a driving point of my life. Yeah. And I think I was also at one point still going back to school for different things. And eventually I decided just to get a bland associates of science from AB Tech, the local community college, just because it's just good to progress. Just good to keep keep going. And people would said people just said that it would be helpful. So I I did it anyways because I wasn't doing anything else. I think actually I really went back because Chase 
um, was in a relationship with his current wife, Olya, and she kind of made a deal like, if you're not going to do anything, then you just pay me money. If you're not going to go to school, you got to give me $500 or something like that. And I was like, all right, I'll make that bet. Um, and just used it as a motivation for me to go to school. Um, because she, she just, she had this strong drive of like, you got to do something. And I maybe had a strong drive. of like, I got to do something that I love or something that is going to help the world. And so she basically made an agreement that inspired me or encouraged me or, manipulated me into going to back to school that was a big part of why I went back to school in addition to other things that I was going through and I forgot all about this there's all all of the people in my life like their stories that I'm close to in my life they're also things that I shared the first time I was talking with with Jesse and that was like I forget about like the 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 parts of my life that were really just mostly devoted to supporting my friends as they were going through stuff and all all of their own journeys too and I feel very close with with the people I've I've mentioned I'm pretty sure some people I've mentioned like I, I, I don't have any association with anymore but like Sean Calvin Will um there's also and my brothers there's strong ties with all of them and they've all gone through some stuff uh, I guess another thing that happened in my life was that my parents got divorced when I was in high school. I don't re- I don't know why I glossed over that, but it I guess it didn't seem to like a significant thing in my life. I looked towards it as a way of like a challenge to rise to the occasion to more than a travesty that had happened to me. I just kind of had that in me. And then I think I wasn't really too emotionally affected by it initially until my younger brother was really broken up by it and he was sad and crying and so I was sad for him I was sad for the the what it appeared to be doing to him and how how he was processing it emotionally I I've been kind of less than emotional in a lot of cases but so that also happened and we would go to my mom's house one week and my dad's house the next week and then we would go to one house two weeks and the next house two weeks and that was that that went on for for a while and it's now I still live with my mom and uh my dad lives with his girlfriend and my mom lives with me and I have a dog got her a while back but so that that so all right so the whole purpose of telling a life story is to kind of get where you are I think and where I am right now is talking into a microphone uh, in a sound booth at you I'm talking into a microphone in a sound booth at UNCA part of this is due to ISGP. So when I was serving uh, the Baha'i community, a Baha'i who was visiting from out of town basically told me, you got to go to ISGP. It's the best. It's a lot of fun. Um, If you're, I think he knew that I was serving the Baha'i community here and there and I was young and I was like, isn't it for people who are in college? And he was like, yeah, but you know, you can just go anyways. It doesn't really matter. Just sign up and go. And so I signed up and go. I don't think I was in school at that time, but I did go to school just kind of shortly after that and kind of muddled my way through some more of my education and went to this first year of this um, thing called the Institute for Studies in Global Prosperity, which is a uh, an institute set up 
under the auspices of the Universal House of Justice, which is the, the governing body, not governing, but the administrative body, the head administrative body of the Baha'i faith, kind of uh, attending to the needs of the worldwide Baha'i community and of the world as a whole. And I, I went to this 10-day seminar and met some other Baha'is, and I was also devoted in, to the Baha'i faith and... I was involved in a relationship with someone from the book too at that time. And it was basically complicated and it continued to be complicated for the next like three years of the four year seminar. Basically the seminar lasts 10 days um, and it happens each summer um, between school. And it's a way of like kind of supporting and building your, your understanding and framework for kind of looking at the world scientifically and also religiously and understanding what are the underlying assumptions in a lot of the, the world's thoughts and beliefs and how, how the world works like that. And I think that was a big educational experience for me. I, I really felt like I got more out of ISGP than all my years of college. And that is probably a shame, but also another good reason why to, to go into that environment. So I went there the first year, and this is also where I met Jesse. And our friendship kind of just started that year, and I liked her, but I was also involved with another person. And I also was kind of like a little bit older than everybody else at ISGP. And so I was kind of like probably didn't have the most humble attitude. I probably looked at a lot of the people that I was I was with as um, immature. And so I was I, I wasn't like mm, I, I was too too uh, too over myself or too excited about my own spiritual growth or my own humility, my own like it wasn't even like I'm better than these people, but it's like I'm better at letting go of things than these people i think that was the the thing that i had because i think a lot of times and when you're in an environment where everybody's learning together and they're all at different levels and in different fields and they have different understandings it can just be like the it can just take time and patience and there was a lot of sometimes i think the first years especially there was a lot of there was a lot of talk about how um it's taking forever to get through this material because like so and so just doesn't get it or things like that and so well there wasn't a lot of that talk but there was definitely like some exasperated moments of like why won't this individual understand the needs of the group and then it's like now the group needs to understand the needs of the individual in it so that we can all learn together and progress and um yeah that like cooperative environment of learning and kind of where every all the students are taking charge of the learning is was really really valuable for me i wish all college students had that especially at such a young age it would be really nice and so yeah i went there the first year met jesse and liked her as a friend and but just also felt like we were just different different age ranges and next four years i was doing i wound up doing a period of service for the baha'i community where i was serving full-time and that was a big part of what i was doing at that time is um 
I think 2016, I served the faith full time, which meant I was trying to start sort of programs or study circles that were that are intended on building community and fostering relationships with more and more people founded on the premise that like being of service to humanity is a joyful experience and no one should be deprived of having opportunities to serve and help others and so really extending service to more and more people um in any in any way like be it doing the dishes just just having the idea that service is is enjoyable was an important part of that the institute process because it kind of flips the scripts and it's a very empowering attitude to have um whereas a lot of the world's mentality around around service and work is that you know work is this thing that you have to do to get money to live and it was different from like you know service is something that you do because you want to express your love for others and you want to like yeah it's just a different way of expressing love than like buying jewelry or 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 doing yeah or or physical expressions it was just like a different more authentic feeling way of kind of building community and relationships and understanding what what everything is about and so i was devoted to service during that year um, and then I, I extended my period of service for another year. Um, but I, I think after that, I felt like I was not doing a very good job at it. And uh, I, I wasn't always able to be focused in that doing what I was like required to do for service because it was kind of a, a, an extreme lofty um, goal that I, I didn't feel like I necessarily had the skills. I was developing them, but I still felt like I was just doing them or everybody a disservice by by uh, by receiving funds full time to to offer these periods of service. And so I I wanted to move towards kind of developing my own career and being able to make a livelihood myself, so that way I could be contributing to the Baha'i world in new and different ways rather than um, the the same ways. I just felt like I was getting older. It was time to, to continue my education and stuff like that. And so I just felt like my, my time was being, it was just a different time in my life. And other people were starting to step up to do, to do the service roles that I was previously involved in. That was another factor. And so I transitioned out of that and began going to school again at UNCA, this time pursuing my uh, bachelor's of English just as a base point because um, there was a need. There was bachelor's is important for a lot of different things, and it just added to a lot of a lot of stuff. So I wound up taking out some more some student loans. I think pre prior to this. I was always student loan averse, did not want to do that at all if I had to be that way. And I just didn't see the way that I was going to be able to get into college, not get in, but I didn't know how I was going to pay for it, afford it. And I didn't think I could work and go to college at the same time because I always felt like when I was young, I needed my downtime. Um, but this like, you know, adopting this new attitude of service and taking joy in service was that like I was more able to work at the same time as going to school when I had this more coherent philosophy about what is work 
um, and what is school. And when I thought of them both as being service, then like my downtime is service, my, my school is service. Um, and it made me more able, like, I didn't need this. I didn't have the same need to recharge my batteries as I used to, because I was just like, well, I can, when I'm working at the library, I'm doing service and that recharges me. And when I'm going to school, I'm doing service and that recharges me. I just changed my mindset to where, what, what, what recharged me more than anything else, more than anything else was helping others. And so that was, um, a huge factor in my belief that I would be able to go to school and also, um, work. And also there was the, the concept from one of the first junior youth textbooks, uh, that when you make for, when you put forth an effort that God will confirm you and assist you, that was a huge breaking point of understanding that was another thing that led me to go back to school. So instead of just going back to school and saying, I can't, I would be like, well, I can at least try and apply and we'll just see what happens. And then that's what I wound up doing. I just applied and got in and one thing led to another and I wound up getting Pell Grants most of the way and I got little loans here and there the rest of the way. And so I was just, after that, I was kind of on my way. And now I am almost done with that service, that that school. I'm this December I should be graduating with my bachelor's degree in English. And uh so that is kind of takes me up to where I am now. Like during those years of school leading up to today in twenty nineteen, um, I also went to uh the other three years of ISGP. This year was my last fourth and final year of ISGP, uh, the undergraduate seminar. During that year, we would all, we kind of, the whole, everybody in the group, the 10 people in the ISGP group made group chats and things like that to stay connected throughout the school year because we wanted to really be able to be a group of supportive friends for each other. That was one of the goals of the the seminar was to give us a a group of support, similar to how the junior youth group program is designed to build groups of support for younger youth. And so we were developing this group of support also that we could rely on, call on, things like that. And throughout the years, we would kind of like check in, update, and here and there. And we, I had, we had some, I had a few maybe interactions with Jesse at that time, during those years um, that were kind of few and far between. They kind of happened again, and then at one point this year, before ISGP, I was on top of a mountain, uh, and I was praying because I think I was having a really hard time with just everything and feeling like things were incoherent and just having a hard time living a Baha'i life in some ways. And so I was, I was praying and asking things like why, why just I might've just been asking why a lot. And I had been thinking about Jesse a little bit during that time, during, during those three years, like I had always regarded her as a really sincere friend and someone that who I could be myself around and trust and she was always reliable and the more through the years of ISGP I realized that Jesse was not only like somebody that I considered a true friend and felt like I could be myself around and thought was reliable this is something that she was for for everybody that she met like seeing uh 
the way that the other people at the ISGP were would uh the way that they respected her and treated her and trusted her and kind of knew her in in a way that they felt like they were themselves and she was herself around them. These very authentic relationships that she had with everyone uh, that kind of set her apart. And then also really a devoted uh, attitude towards Baha'u'llah and service and um, demonstrating focus and, and things like that, that were just, I, I can go on and on about what, what, what were some of the things that I was just, uh, changed or things that I learned during those years of ISGP that that solidified my my understanding that she was someone who was really really special and also someone who who I admired a lot rather than I think there were some other people that I really love a lot but still there are maybe some st- still different value difference or, or or just different mindsets and I just really grew more and more appreciative and fond of Jesse's attitudes and just her way of being. And I, I went into ISGP in the fourth year, kind of like with a, a potential, like this might be a year that I can talk with Jesse about, man, I don't know if I was thinking of marriage at the time. Probably. I think that's something that, that was, on my mind because she just seemed very much like a suitable marriage partner, like a, a very um, good material. Like she's just, she's just a good person. And it's, and it felt like we, 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 we would be potentially compatible or our values would, would assist us in having a, a happy life together. And so I went into ISGP year four more open. I was not in a relationship this year and I was more open to kind of, exploring and I was really thrilled to learn that we might have some mutual uh attraction for each other and then shortly after the ISGP um we start talking here and there and uh then we started talking well, nearly every day and texting and, and messaging well mostly mostly texting initially and then then some talking and voice messaging and th- things like that which led to this voice messages eventually involved into me making wanting to make a podcast with her. And so that is the first story of the podcast this year, story of my life and kind of a small introduction incomplete. Um really just me rambling. Um and that's going to be the gist of this this whole podcast right here. Um but for the next segment of the podcast um, I wanted to focus, there was something that a while back when I was writing notes for the podcast, the guidance that I looked up or that I was wanting to to reference was that the quotation from the writings that say, I loved thy creation, hence I created thee. I think because the word hence is something that I don't understand, but I've heard people say that one of the interpretations of, of this quote is that out of God's love for us, we were made and that we are embodiments or proof or evidences of the love of God. I thought, I guess that's one of the things that I've been thinking about because we're talking about creation and love 
And my goal for the podcast was that out of love, I would be making something. And I think I just wanted to inspire and encourage ideas of creativity. And I think that is one of the ways that we connect with our creator is through creating ourselves. It's through that that we get to a little, maybe a little taste or a glimpse or a glimmer of the love of God. Um, and so that I wanted to share because I, I wanted to undertake this, the goal of, of making a podcast with Jesse as a way of expressing through creativity, love, and allowing that act of creativity to be uh, a way also for me to connect with God, for me to be able to be creating something and making something, even if it's not perfect or even if it's um, improvisational or even if I don't have all the time to edit it down to what I want it to be. All of these things are just reasons that I wanted to uh, get involved in the in the podcast idea and to give her to something to, to listen to. And I hope this is not just boring rambling. I think it is. The other the other section of the podcast that I wanted to do was questions. Well, I wanted to do questions because I wanted to be like a love letter. I wanted to go back and forth. And I want to be able to ask Jesse things via the podcast. And so this first, like the first questions I want to ask is because I'm making this podcast as a surprise. My first question that you can respond to is what do you think are you down uh do you also like and also just input on on this idea like what do you like do you have additional thoughts um do you want different categories do you want to just ditch categories you just want to talk on podcast to each other um do you want it to not be a podcast because that would be you don't just don't want to put that out there in the world like these are the sorts of questions that i have um and I really don't know about this. Like, there, I was going to do a music section of the podcast, and I'm not sure. I might tack it on at the end after, if I get a chance to record something decent. Questions. What do you think? You want to do this podcast thing with me? Would you be up for publishing such a podcast to the internet? This might come out as just initially just me sending her sound files, and then we, we could talk of whether we wanted to make something publishable or not, or what that would be like. Um, it could be weird, could be nice. And then I think the other question was like, what would be a good episode length to kind of shoot for or aim for? Like a 20 minute episode would be very doable. And I love that idea because I could do one probably every week without having to make a big deal about it. Um, but then also I'm trying to make this first one long. I'm trying to give like a lot of times when I want to put a podcast on, it's just something that I want to put on and then just be able to like listen to zone out to and so maybe a longer, longer podcast is nice. Um, and I keep thinking big. I like wanted to do an hour, but I keep it went down to 30. I was like, maybe 30 minutes would be good. And then eventually I was like really short on time one day. And I was like, you know, 20 minutes would be good, but maybe it'll just be 10. Who knows? Like, I just don't know. Um, and then I guess in the realm, one of the music possibilities that I was thinking of for the podcast was to be able to share like a little bit, like sometimes when I have thoughts uh, regarding Jesse, I just don't always share them because that would just be overwhelming because that's because I'm pretty much only thinking about Jesse right now. Sometimes I write them down and then I plan to share them later. Sometimes they have to do with music. And one of the things that I wanted to share with Jesse 
was that there was this one, there was a couple days while back, maybe a couple weeks ago, I think, was that there was, I just, for some reason, the Hootie and the Blowfish song came into my mind that goes like, I only want to be with you. And I was like, oh, that's so true. I only want to be with Jesse right now. And I just keep walking around this UNCA campus and nobody here is Jesse and being bummed out. And I thought of that song and I was like, I want to share that with Jesse. But then also I like looked up the song and listened to it and all the other lyrics I wasn't didn't really care about. It seemed like overly romantic and stuff. But that that single phrase seemed appropriate. So I wanted to just share that with Jesse. Another question for Jesse might be, is it weird that I'm kind of talking with you to you, but then also referring to you in the third person in some ways? Like it makes it not a letter. It makes it more of a podcast than a letter. And I don't know how I feel about that because part of me, I guess part of me does want to just be addressing you rather than saying Jesse. I don't know. And then so, yeah, so then that is it. I might try to record another snippet of like music or something and edit into the podcast as a part of uh, part of this, what we're doing and get that recorded and add it to the podcast and edit that in. And so that is what that is. And yeah, so this brings this first podcast to a conclusion. Talked about music, told you my life story again. It's even worse than it was before and longer probably. Oh, yeah. And I I mentioned some of the, the guidance from the Baha'i faith that I found inspiring in the in within this idea to start a podcast with you and why I wanted to do that. All right. So that is that. This is the podcast and this is me signing off of the podcast. Bye-bye. No sunshine when she's gone. It's not warm when she's away. Ain't no sunshine when she's gone. And she's always gone too long. Anytime she goes away. Wonder this time where she's gone Wonder if she's gone to stay Ain't no sunshine when she's gone And this house just ain't no home Anytime she goes away I know, 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 I know
know, I know, I know. You don't need no thanks alone. Ain't no sunshine when she's gone. Only darkness every day. Ain't no sunshine when she's gone. In this house just ain't no home anytime she goes away. Anytime she goes away. Anytime she goes away. Anytime she goes away.